All right, well, good morning, church. All right, so we're in John chapter 6. We're continuing through John chapter 6 this morning. And John chapter 6 is a long chapter, and there's a lot going on in John chapter 6. We've already gone through the fact that Jesus fed the 5,000. We've already gone through Jesus walking on water. Now we're getting to the end section of the chapter, and honestly, I thought, we'll just wrap it up today. Might as well, right? I mean, it's, it's contextually... Considering what Jesus is talking about here, it all centers around one thing. It centers around the first I am, the first official I am statement in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Right? And, then, and there's seven. When you, when you study through the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements that you focus on when you study through. Now, now mind you, and we kind of touched on this last Sunday. Uh, Jesus uses the phrase more than what is just recognized in those seven I am statements. Um, last week, walking on water, when he was walking on water and the, the, and the disciples were scared, right? And he announced that it, was, that it was him, Jesus. He said, don't not be afraid, it is I. That was the same, the same Greek word, ego I me, I am. That's what it, that means. Do not be afraid, he said, I am. He uses that a lot, and it declares who he is, which is the fact that he is declaring to be God when he uses that phrase. In John chapter 4, when he was speaking to the woman at the well, remember, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all these things, and what did Jesus tell the woman? He said, I, who speak to you, am he. And when you looked it up in the Greek, what did Jesus basically say? He said, I am he. Right? So Jesus uses that phrase, I am quite a bit. But there's only seven times that when we look through the Gospel of John where he starts it off by saying, I am this or I am that. And today is one of those when he says, I am the bread of life. Right? So the seventh statement. So we're going to see the first one this morning. And again, these are proclamations. These are declarations from Jesus that help us not only understand who he is and what his ministry is about, but also, of course, tell us that he is declaring to be God, and he's doing it in a way that he's using scripture. Okay, I don't know if you understand that, but he's using scripture to declare who he is because he's referencing the Old Testament. He's referencing Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, when Moses was going to be leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses is like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to go to the Pharaoh and talk to him and supposed to go to the Israelites and say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm here to be your savior in a sense and lead you out. Who, who should I tell him sent me? Right? What's your name? <laughs> is what he's asking God. Right? He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And this is what God told Moses. He says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So it was pretty much recognized hands down throughout, you know, as far as the Jews were concerned that I am is understood as a name for God. So when Jesus uses the word, the phrase, I am, Jesus is declaring himself to be God, right? In the Hebrew, it's hayah, that's hayah. That's the Hebrew word for I am. In the Greek, like I said, it's ego, I me. It means I am. So like I said, when Jesus says these statements, that's why they're important to, for us to, to, un, to go over them. 
right? When he makes these statements, specifically when he claims the attributes of God and then, you know, makes the statement, I am, he's declaring himself to be God. He's declaring himself to be the eternal God in the ancient of days, the first and the last, the creator of all things, God. He is declaring himself to be God. So this morning we're going to look over the first one. So I'm going to read John 6, and I'm going to read verses 20 through 22 through the end of the chapter. But I guarantee you we're not going to get through it all. All right? So this is part one you, of, of 10, or however long it takes us to get through the end of this chapter. Um, we'll be done with this chapter in February. All right? And I'm probably not even joking. So starting in verse 22, on the next day, this would be the day after... Uh, feeding the 5,000. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats, plural, and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. Then the Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned away and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the power and the strength and the encouragement and the hope that's found in it. Even in long sections of verses like this that are um, still disputed and, and uh, still offensive to some people today. But in them are life, because Jesus is the bread of life. So we pray, Lord, that you just continue to speak these words to us in, in our hearts and that your spirit continue to uh, reveal Jesus to us in our life and in our walk so that we can just grow closer and grow deeper and that we can have the response like Simon had which is in you is life. Where else would we go? We only have one place to turn, and that's to Jesus. So we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, chapter 6 is a full chapter, right? There's a lot going on. And it ends with this sermon. And it's basically a sermon. And I think the sermon, I mean, the way I read it, and you may not 100% you know, agree with me on this, but the way I read it is, is that Jesus, the, the conversation starts with a crowd of people. Now, one thing not to be confused by, but Jesus refers to this crowd later in the chapter as disciples. But the crowd is not the 12, all right? So what's a disciple? A disciple's a, a student, okay? So if you came and were, and I mean, they refer to Jesus when they find him as a rabbi, a rabbi is a teacher. So if you're listening to the teacher and learning from the teacher, therefore you're a student, so therefore you're a disciple. So you have this large crowd of people. They had just been at, at the feeding of the 5,000, which as we know is more than 5,000 people, right? 
probably 10,000, could be 15,000 people, because if 5,000 was just the men, it wasn't counting the women and the children. So there was a lot of people there. And they had just seen Jesus and the disciples, you know, Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 with, with five loaves and two fish. You know, maybe they didn't understand the miracle that happened. Maybe they were just surprised that, hey, we had a great meal and it was really good. Obviously, their heart's not in the right place. They don't understand completely who Jesus is. They don't quite understand the miracles that had happened and or any, anything of this. But, but they had had such a good time and they had been moved in such a way that in the morning they go looking for Jesus because they didn't see Jesus leave with the disciples. They saw the disciples go by themselves and they can't find Jesus. They don't know where Jesus is. So they get in boats, plural, right? Which means there was a lot of people. It wasn't just a small group of people that could fit in one boat. There's a large group of people. They take many boats and they go across the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias or whatever you want to call it. And they go searching for Jesus. Now searching for Jesus is a great thing. It's... You, I mean, that's how your relationship with Jesus started. There was a searching involved somehow. Whether you knew it or not, you were searching for Jesus. But when you're searching for Jesus, Jesus wants to understand one thing, which is what he's asking this crowd of people who are following him here. He wants to know why you're following him. He's going he's gonna to question your motives. And he, and he, in a sense, questions their motives when they get there. And they have lots of questions for him. And so this starts off this whole discourse, this whole sermon, you could say, which I think started more as a walking, talking type of thing with the crowd. They come across, they find Jesus, and they have questions for him. And now Jesus, it says Jesus answered them, but Jesus isn't answering the question that they ask, right? He's addressing the, the need that's present, which is their salvation. He's addressing the fact that they need Jesus, that they need a bread of life. He's offering them salvation. It's available to you right now. You just need to believe in me, right? So that's what he's addressing, what really needs to be addressed. He's not answering the question like, how did you get here? Well, let me tell you, last night I walked across the water and you guys were sleeping and, uh, you know, and the disciples saw me, they thought I was a ghost and they were really frightened, but, you know, and hey, Peter walked on water for a little bit, but then he started to sink. He didn't go through the whole story for him because it didn't matter. It didn't matter to them. That wasn't the important part. So this crowd comes over, they find Jesus, they start asking Jesus all these questions. I think they're walking and talking and discussing this, and they end up at a synagogue in Capernaum, which is when the, 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 the teaching changes. And, it's, and the questions are harder for them to accept. And when it says the Jews start grumbling, the Jews is a reference more to the religious leaders probably in the synagogue than it is to the crowd that was following Jesus to begin with. Because the crowd's a diverse crowd. It's not just your normal everyday people who are following Jesus. It's a mix of, of, of that and the religious leaders that were following Jesus around. So this conversation starts somewhat innocently in the sense that they're like, hey, Jesus, how did you get here? We're surprised to see you on the other side because you didn't get in the boat. And it's a long walk around. It's like 13 miles to walk around the lake. But it's like I said, eight miles at the shortest point, eight miles across. So this sermon starts here, and it's controversial. It has a lot of tough sayings. It has a lot of tough answers, but yet it's mixed with hope because, like I said, Jesus is offering them salvation. He's telling them where salvation is found. You guys need the bread of life, and I am the bread of life. Right. So there's a lot of stuff in here, and we're not going to be able to get through it all this morning. 
and we'll continue on with it as we go through uh, chapter 6. And we'll try to, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll spend some time on the controversial areas. You could understand some of them as we read through it, probably. Jesus is not a vampire, right? But, you know, but it was tough for the crowd to hear Jesus talk about things like that when he's talking about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, right? So now you have to understand that this sermon is directed to the crowd and it's not so much directed to the twelve. But the crowd were students because they wanted to learn. Right? So it really shouldn't be any surprise to us then when it starts that what Jesus says is offensive to some of them. About that, the, what Jesus says is hard for them to understand or grasp. Notice one thing when Jesus is talking to the crowd. He never changes what he's talking about. He doesn't ever change the answer, right? No matter the question that they give him, no matter what they're, they're saying, like, this is really difficult to understand. I don't quite get this. What, what are you talking about? It seems almost if, as if Jesus I don't, you know, purposefully makes it even more difficult to grasp as he's talking through it, right? Oh, you thought that was difficult? Wait till you hear this, Right? This is even a little more difficult for you to understand. I, w- I want you to think about that because that is not how the church operates today. Right? I mean, when we look at organized religions in whole, or as a whole, specifically in the day we live in today, you know, the Bible tells us that people in the last days are going to be turning to, to whatever tickles their ear. Right? Instead of staying true to the gospel, they're going to turn to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all, as it tells us in Galatians, right? Any other Jesus besides the Jesus you've been taught about in the gospel is no Jesus, right? So they're going to be turning to this to another gospel. And when we talk in the end times, when they talk about the falling away, it's my personal belief that the falling away isn't so much people turning away as in rejecting Christianity. It's going to be people turning to what they consider is Christianity, but it's not. Okay, it's it's this weak and woke, watered down message that has nothing to do with the gospel anymore. And the church today, what they've done is, is that when they start talking about these things, about the gospel, about what who Jesus says, for example, Jesus is telling them that he's what? That he has come down from heaven, that he is the son of God, that he is the son of man, his favorite phrase for himself, a messianic term, right? He's given them all these things. He's talking about who he is. And he says, I am the bread of life. They understand what bread of life means. It's immediate reference to manna, right? That they received, that, that their fathers had received in the, in the wilderness with Moses. They understood bread of life. They understood that idea. Wait, what are you saying? Right? So they understood what Jesus was saying. They didn't want to accept it. But Jesus didn't change what he said. He didn't water it down. He didn't say, oh, that's hard for you to accept? Well, here, let me change it a little bit, you know. Let me make it more palatable for you so that you won't argue with me and you won't find it controversial. You won't find it insulting. Wait, I don't want crowds to leave. No, 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 no. Stay here. We're going to change the message. We're going to change the message. No, that's what, that's what the church does today. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus wasn't playing to the crowds. He, he, he wasn't interested okay, in changing the word because the word is truth. And he was going to continue to teach the truth. And if only we would just continue to teach the truth and not change it. Right? I mean, Catholicism, just in the last month, the Pope came out. 
right? He's changed the gospel. They've changed it many times, but he just keeps changing it again. We can't, com- we can't compromise. And Jesus doesn't compromise. He just doesn't change his answer. No matter how hard it is to accept for the people, no matter how hard of a problem they have understanding what Jesus is saying, he's not going to compromise. He's not going to water it down. He's not going to change it for them. If it's hard for you to understand, then it's hard for you to understand. Right? Suck it up. I don't know that he says that in here, but you know, that's the idea. It's the idea behind what he's saying. It's like I said, it's almost like he said, you said, oh, thought that was difficult? Well, here, listen to this. Because this is even more difficult for you to understand. But those whose lives and whose faith in Jesus is rooted in the word of God, just like what Peter says at the end, right? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, right? Those who we understand that these are the words of eternal life, we're not turning away from them. Where else, where else can we go? We know nothing else is going to give us life. Only God's word. So stay firm. Stand firm. Don't turn away from it. Right? So this crowd comes to Jesus and, and they have a question. Like the first question, how did you get here? Jesus says that Jesus answers them. But like I said, Jesus doesn't answer the question about how he got there. What Jesus tells them is, you're seeking me not because of the signs. You're seeking me not because of the miracles. You're seeking me not because you understand that I'm the son of God or that I'm the Messiah. You're seeking me because you got fed well. You had a good meal, right? You like the fish and the loaves, and you want another good meal now. That's why you're seeking me. He says, however, don't, don't seek that. Right? What does he say? He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Right? Don't work for the food that perishes. Don't be seeking the physical things. Be looking for the spiritual Right? So Jesus is saying, it's time for the rubber to hit the road. I'm calling you onto the carpet. You have a choice to make. You're following me. Why are you following me? What are you looking for? Are you looking for another good meal? Right? Hey, let's follow Jesus. We get free meals. It's great. He's like, don't follow me for that because that food perishes. That food will never satisfy. It's like Chinese. You're going to eat it and then you're going to be hungry, right? As soon as you're done and you're going to want more. As soon as you finish that, you're going to be hungry again. You're going to want more. It's never going to satisfy you. I don't care how good it is, right? Like a 13-year-old kid I know who can eat us out of house and home and, and eat through every, everything we have in the cupboard and an hour later want to eat everything we have in the cupboard again, Right? That stuff never truly satisfies you, never actually get your fill, right? And my kids are always like, dang it. Why couldn't we be downstairs? But this is what Jesus is asking them. What do you want from me? What do you believe about me, right? This is who I am. Do you accept it? Are you going to accept me for who I am, for who I say I am, or... Are you going to walk away? Right? Now is the time for a decision. That's what he's telling them. Now is the time for a decision. Right? You aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Now is the time for you to decide whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. That's what the crowd has to, to decide, right? Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Now it's basically what Jesus is telling them. Hey, now is the day for your salvation. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be saved? You just have to believe I am who I say I am. 
right? So the crowd was seeking Jesus. They weren't seeking him with the right motives, but they were seeking Jesus. And I just want to say, if you're seeking Jesus, that's a good start, right? Even with wrong motives. But just be aware, Jesus is going to call your motives out. And that's when you have to make a choice about what you're doing. So the crowd was seeking Jesus. So that was a good thing. Right? And they were like, Jesus, I don't know how you got over here. We were watching all the exits. We didn't see you leave. Right? So he starts, so he answers the question, but he's really answering their motives. He's really questioning their motives by answering the question. So he tells them, listen, you aren't seeking me because of the miracles. You're seeking me because of the food. You had a great meal. You want another great meal. And basically what he tells them here in verse 27 is he's paraphrasing scripture. He's not quoting directly, but he's sort of paraphrasing it. And it's, it's basically from Isaiah 55.2. Isaiah 55.2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It's, it's, it's a verse talking about what comes from God and, and what comes from man. Why are you spending on your money on bread that does not satisfy? Here he's sort of paraphrasing the idea behind that verse in Isaiah. And he's telling them, like, don't work. He's turned it around. He's like, I know you kind of understand what I'm talking about when I'm referencing this. Instead of making it sort of a question, I'm going to make it sort of a commandment. I'm just going to tell you directly, listen, don't work for the food that perishes. Don't spend your money on it. Don't work for that. Don't work for that food. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so they hear Jesus say that, and they ask him another question. They say, "Then, well, that, well, what, what do we need to do then? Right? I mean, the question they ask in verse 28 is, what must we do to be doing the works of God? If we are working for the food that perishes, if that's what we were doing, then obviously what you're telling us is, is that we're not working for, we're not doing the works of God. So therefore, what must we be doing to do the works of God? This is a common question. A lot of people have asked this question. You may have asked this question at one time. It's kind of like asking, um, what is the will of God for my life? What is the, well, you want to know what the will of God is for your life? It's right here. It's direct from Jesus' own mouth, okay? He tells them, you want to be doing the works of God? You want to understand what the will of God is for you, right? Well, that's very simple. Believe in him who he has sent. There you go. You want to be doing the works of God in your life? Believe in Jesus. You want to be doing the will of God? Believe in Jesus. So you guys, well, you, you actually are serious? You, right? you don't want to work for the food that perishes? You want to be doing the works of God? Okay, believe in me. Believe in me. Doing the work of God is believing in Jesus. You're doing the work of God when you put your life in the hands of Jesus. You're doing the work of God when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus. Listen, you were following him for the free food, right? But now it's time to believe in him for eternal life. That's true nourishment. And then they have the audacity to ask the next question. Because it's really a stupid question. They say, well, wait a minute. What signs are you going to show us that would make us believe that you're actually being sent by God? That we should believe in you? And he's like, you really haven't been paying attention, have you? Right? He actually tells them later, I've been doing these things and you don't believe. 
It's like you're blind. You're not even seeing what I'm doing. You were just with me when I fed the 5,000. You guys have under, you don't have any understanding of the miracle that just happened. You, you have no clue. You're blind. It shows how blind they were, right? They say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? He's like, come on. You guys aren't paying any attention. And then they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this just shows how blind they were to the miracles that Jesus had already performed. This is just more evidence that they were showing that they were truly following Jesus for prideful and selfish reasons. And no other reason, right? And like I said, later in verse 36, he tells them, you have seen yet not believed. He corrects them. And so he corrects them and he tells them, listen, the bread, the manna that came from heaven that you got through Moses, that came from God. Moses didn't bake that, right? Not that they believe that, but, but he was telling them, listen, that, that's, you're attributing that to Moses, but that came from God. God delivered that manna to you. You know what manna means? It means, what is this? Because they didn't know what it was when they woke up and it was outside their tent. They're like, what is this? I don't know. We'll call it manna. What does manna mean? It means, what is this? Right? They didn't know what it was. But then Jesus tells them later in verse 49, listen, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and guess what? They died. I'm here to give you the bread of life that leads to eternal life. That leads to eternal life. Right? So manna from heaven was a great miracle, but it didn't sustain your fathers forever and it didn't sustain them eternally. It was a temporary thing, right? Worldly bread, it may taste good. It may be great, especially like if you go to, what was a oh, macaroni grill? When Julie and I used to go to macaroni grill when they were open, I don't know if they're open anymore. They're not by the mall anymore, but they used to give you that little, that, that loaf of bread with the oil, just like getting the breadsticks from Olive Garden, but a little better. Right? And, and you'd be like, yeah, that's why I come to macaroni grill. I don't care about the meal. I just want the bread. And you break it and dip it in the oil. And it's really good. And especially you get extra so you could take it home. You know? And they would give you it with the breadsticks. You're like, we need another round of breadsticks right when you're about to leave. And they bring it to the table and you throw it in the bag and you think, I'm taking it home. Because we love the breadsticks. Bread is really good. We love bread. My kids love bread. That's pretty much all they eat. Bread. Bread and crackers. Vegetables? No. Bread, though, yes, right? <coughs> Toasted with peanut butter, right? Dipped in oil. We love bread. However, bread does not provide salvation. You're not going to be saved by a loaf of bread in your kitchen. It's just never going to happen. No matter how good it is, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears went into making it, no, you know, none of that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's your great-grandma's recipe that's been passed on down for generations. It's not going to save you. There is no salvation found in that bread. It's just bread. There's nothing in this world that can sustain you like Jesus. Nothing, because Jesus is the bread of life. Right? The bread of God is, uh, is Jesus, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And just in case you're wondering if you counted when we read through all the verses, Jesus keeps referring that he comes down from heaven. like It's over five times, I think. They were upset because Jesus says he came from heaven. They're like, what do you mean you came from heaven? We know your parents. Right? They had a problem with that, but Jesus keeps referring to himself. Jesus never said he was God. Jesus keeps saying he's God over and over and over and over again. And you're just not paying attention. He just keeps repeating it over and over. And they hear, right? he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, that's verse 33, and gives life to the world. 
And they said, sir, give us this bread. Right? We want the bread that's from God. Just like the woman at the well in chapter 4, when Jesus talks about the living water, she says, give me the water. Right? They're saying, give me the bread. I want the bread. Right? And so Jesus tells them in verse 35, the, whole, the center of this whole thing, the first I am statement in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? Through all of this, through everything that he tells them, Jesus keeps declaring who he is. Right? Not just once, but many times, over and over again, I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. I am the Son of Man. Right? You need the bread that I give so that you can live eternally. Right? He's drilling the message in over and over and over again to him. He says, I'm different. I didn't originate by man. I'm not of this world. I'm from heaven. God has set his seal on me, as he told him back in verse 25, right? You need to believe me. You want to be doing the will of God? You need to believe in him who he sent. I am him who he sent, right? I am the son of God. I am the bread of God that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He just repeats it over and over and over again. But he's also telling them in the midst of that, he's telling them, you need this. You need this. You seriously need this. You need to be saved and salvation is through me. I am truly what you need. Not the fish and the loaves. You don't need the fish and the loaves. I understand that was a great meal and you want more, but that's not what you need. Right? You don't need the physical. You don't need the external trappings. You don't need that food. You don't need any of that. You need Jesus. So he says, quit working for the food that perishes. Right? It's not Moses. Right? Moses didn't give you the bread. God gave you the bread from heaven. God sent me. I am the bread from heaven. Right? That physical stuff, like the manna, you're just going to end up dying like your father's. It's not going to save you. But if you take my bread, you will live forever. So what is he telling him? He's saying, listen, don't let your faith just be dependent on another miracle. Right? Don't let it be weak in that sense and shipwreck you because you just want a miracle and you haven't actually placed any faith in the miracle maker. Right? I am not the means to an end, he's telling them. I am the end. I am the first and the last. Right? I am, I, I am God with you. I am Emmanuel. Right? Was it say in Revelations 1.8? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's who I'm declaring to be. I am the bread of life. And true life comes from me. And what Jesus wants and what he's trying to do to this crowd and to us is he's trying to get our eyes off the physical realm and put your eyes on the spiritual realm, right? It's the spirit who gives life, Jesus says, right? The flesh is no help at all. It profits nothing, as it says in verse 63, which we'll get to eventually. But the word of God is spirit and life. The words of Jesus are spirit and life. The 12, the chosen, they, they knew this. But the crowd didn't understand this. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? Only Jesus can truly sustain. Jesus is essential for life, for eternal life. Jesus is looking for a complete surrender, a complete allegiance to him. So what are your motives for following Jesus? Right? That's what he's asking them. What are your motives for following me? Are you just looking to fill your stomach? Are you looking for, or are you trying to satisfy a deeper hunger? 
right? And if you are trying to satisfy a deeper hunger, then there's only one way to truly satisfy that. That's through God's word. That's through Jesus. And listen, even no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, Jesus will always search the motives of those who follow him. You should understand that. Because he might even one day call you to the carpet over something. Wait a minute, why are you doing this? What's your purpose behind it? Right? First Thessalonians says that he is the one who tests our heart. He does that continuously. He always checks our motives. For better or for worse, motives are the underlying reason for our actions. Many, right? The reason we do things is because of how we are, what we are motivated, how to, what to do. Right? Motives are the underlying reason for our actions. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So the Lord is continuing to weigh our spirits, continuing to check our heart, continuing to check our motives. Why are you following me? Right? Why are you following me? And the reason he does that is because the human heart is very deceitful. Right? And our motives can often be wrong. They can often be selfish and prideful. And any motives that originate from our sinful flesh do not please God. They don't please God. And yes, Jesus will use wrong motives. He's glad that you're seeking him. He's, gonna, he's going to draw you close and then he's going to question your motives. And he's going to bring them out. Right? He's going to redirect you through his word. And as we see from what we read, we just touched on so far this morning, when he redirects you with his word, it's challenging. It's going to challenge you as it challenged this crowd. It's going to challenge you. His words can be challenging. They can confront us and we can get offended by them, but they have purpose. And the purpose is, is that we should understand is narrow is the way. It's not a wide road. There's a reason for Jesus to check and continue to question your motives and to, and to check your heart. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what God does through the word of God. That's why we need to stay in the word of God. So that God can continue to check our hearts. Continue to question our motives. Continue to make sure that we're staying on the right path. And we'll go over more about the reactions of the crowd to what Jesus said and stuff as we continue through. But he continues to check our hearts because our hearts are deceitful. And we need to have our motives constantly evaluated by the Lord. And we need to be willing to be honest with ourselves about our action when he questions them. Right? We need to focus our heart and our eyes and everything we have on Jesus. Right? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh as it tells us in Galatians 5. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's basically what Jesus was telling the crowd. You need to be seeking the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. Quit seek, seeking the food that perishes and search for the food that leads to eternal life. That comes through me, that comes through Jesus. Right? Jesus is looking for you to have a real, deep, intimate partaking relationship. It takes time, it takes action, but he is the only true life-giving, eternally satisfying bread. And believe in him and you will never hunger again. Right? Hosea 6 verses 1 through 3 says this, 
And we'll finish with this verse before we get into communion. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. You'd be focused on Jesus because he's the only one that can sustain us and give us life and raise us up. As he says here, as he tells the crowd, right? My father gives you to me. I'm going to raise you up on the last day. Amen.